Welcome to the Everything Sports Podcast with Jay Bandy, where we reveal the little-known secrets of superstar athletes as they leave their glamorous careers behind and return to everyday life. Listen to actionable business tips and life-changing insights from these sporting heroes as they share their epic journeys with you. Now, here's your host, the CEO of Everything Sports, Jay Bandy. Today I welcome a guy who grew up in Fairfield, one of Australia's heartland of rugby league in Western Sydney. He attended Westfield Sports High and played in their first rugby league team. From there he went on to represent Australian schoolboys in the rugby league team in 1991. He was a Parramatta Junior Eel and made his first grade debut in his first year out of school in round four of the 1992 season against the Sydney Roosters. He had a great season and went on to win the Eric Growth Award as the Eels Rookie of the Year. He spent four seasons at the Eels in the back line before moving to North Sydney as a replacement for the Ivan Cleary. In 1996, he was selected to represent Australia at 5'8 against PNG in Port Moresby. And after representing Australia in 1996, he went on to play for New South Wales against Queensland in the 1997 State of Origin Series. He was a try-scoring machine and scored 21 tries for Norse in their 1998 season. In 2000, Norse and Manly merged to form the Northern Eagles. He only stayed at Northern Eagles for one season before returning to the Parramatta Eels in 2001, where they went on a dream run that season only to lose in the grand final to the Newcastle Knights. Then he went on to the West Tigers in 2003 and 2004, playing a total of 263 NRL matches, scoring 96 tries. Since retiring in 2008, he went on competition manager for the National Youth League Sorry, in 2008 and 2009, and he serves on the NRL judiciary where he's the match review committee coordinator. He also has a sports radio program here on the Central Coast and also has a charity, Pass It On Clothing, who have so far passed on 10,000 items of clothing to the homeless. And it is great pleasure I welcome Michael Butner. Welcome, Mick. Hey, Jay. Good to be here, mate. How are you, mate? I'm very good, mate. Very good. Mate, pretty awesome stuff. But first, I just want to have a quick chat about Cameron Smith. Today, pretty relevant, retiring from origin and rep duties and you being a former New South Welshman playing a few games there. So what's that mean for New South Wales? Oh, look, mate, it's obviously great news for the Blues, I've got to say. We know what he's done in the game and what a great player he's. The influence he's had over the last 12 series. For a guy to play 42 games of origin is just remarkable. He's 50-odd test matches, and we know what he does for the Melbourne Storm, you know, taking out two premierships and whatever other ones when they were taken away from the Melbourne Storm through the salary cap rorting. Yeah. But, you know, he's an out-and-out champion, and many are talking about him being a future immortal. But there's no doubt he's going to be a Hall of Famer at some stage. But good news for the Blues, and maybe it was just a sign <laughs> that he threw a little chink in the armour of the Maroons, and that's why he retired. He, you know, he likes going out on top. He is a winner, you know, winning. 11 out of the last 12 series and you know what it's probably from Blues perspective it's been an amazing oh yeah just from a rugby league perspective actually it's just been an amazing run for that Queensland side when you think of the quality and the calibre of player that has been a part of this process the likes of you know Cameron Smith Cooper Cronk Billy Slater Jonathan Thurston there was another bloke just before Cooper Cronk and Thurston called Darren Lockyer, I think was okay as well. <laughs> you got Greg Inglis, Darius Boyd. And they're just backs predominantly. The forwards that they've had, Nate Miles, Sam Thido. You know, maybe he did see the writing on the wall, Cameron Smith, but nevertheless, I know Blues fans are rubbing their hands together. Oh, and it's great news for them. I don't know how the Queenslanders, they're probably mourning at the moment, the loss of Cameron Smith. Yeah, we'll make for an interesting series. The Queenslanders, like my they've always got a succession plan. 
And they've probably got three or four Cameron Smiths waiting in the wings. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, buddy, Queensland. But, yeah, I think hopefully we'll have a start of our dynasty, the New South Welshman. Yeah, let's hope so. You know, Freddie's got a big job there, so there's plenty of talk about the, the number of changes he's going to make. And it'll be interesting to see which way he goes. We've got three more weeks of footy before they select the side. And, you know, whatever changes he, he does make, I've got no doubt he'll be putting plenty of thought into it. Yeah, no, definitely. One of the smartest. I was watching 100% footy or something last night, and Gus, there's not many blokes that know him any better than Gus, and yep. he said one of the smartest footy brains going around. So uh, hopefully it's a, a good change and brings us, brings us some success. Well, it's certainly going to help without having Cameron Smith there. That's right. And yeah. JT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mate, just doing a bit of research on the end. There's only a couple of similarities. I didn't play 263 NRL <laughs> games. We played our first NRL game out of first year out of school. Yeah. At Fairfield, I went to St. Greg's and um, played at the Eels, obviously, being a Parramatta junior. You know, what? a long time ago now, I made my debut back in 1992. And, and my claim to fame, and I always remind Stella of this when I've seen up here on the coast, is that... I replaced him. The week that he got injured and retired, which was week three of the 92 season, the very next week I come up and replaced him. Now, sure, I didn't play halfback, but that's irrelevant. (laughs) But I did come up and and take his spot. So from that end, mate, that's my claim to fame. I got to replace Peter Sterling. (laughs) Fair claim to fame, mate. I'll claim (laughs) that one. Yeah, yeah. Could you share with our listeners why you think transitioning smoothly out of the NRL also, you're still a little bit in the public life, but not as much as you were. How to transition smoothly? Mate, I, especially now in the modern era when we've got players who are professional league players, I was pretty fortunate when I started playing, it was still part-time. And I went through that transition of the semi-professional through to the end of my career where it became professional. And there wasn't you know, a great deal of work done in terms of that transition, in terms of education and welfare for players. And you know, fortunately, when I finished playing the game, found myself in a position at the NRL where it was based around the education and welfare. And we started putting in programs that dealt with players and how they transition. And even more so now, that we're now probably 20 years into professionalism and it's becoming a real issue for professional sports and how best to handle that. So, you know, it's not an easy process when you think about, you know, the day-to-day process of a player. They do get pampered and it is a little bubble that they live in. And then to go outside of that world and live, most would consider, a normal life where you've got to do your own things, which most people just take for granted now or do on a regular basis. But for players, it's not as common and it's not as frequent. And, you know, maybe we're just pampering them too much. But I will say this, it's a challenging transition because there's not too many careers where you get to be around your best mates on a day-to-day basis, love what you're doing, passionate about what you're doing, maintaining a physical fitness and healthy lifestyle and traveling the country at various stages and even going overseas if you happen to make rep football or you're going to New Zealand, etc. Yep. So there's not too many positions or you know jobs like that. I guess the other thing is not too many jobs that pay as well as rugby league players are being paid these days, especially when you consider how much the salary cap has increased. So it's certainly a tough change, but one, you know, I guess I was fortunate that teaching degree behind me, I was very upfront and forthright in knowing that I was retiring and taking the necessary steps to ensure that I had something behind me. Oh, very good. The professionalism, 20 years professional, as you said, like I've had a few podcast guests and Scotty Sattler says, you know, probably ticking a few boxes. For me personally, I've been out of it for a few years now, but I still have contact with the current guys that are 
playing and coming to their retirement. I haven't had them on the on the show yet. Matty Ballin and quite a few other boys that are just retiring, like Andy Ryan a couple of years ago, and and they still struggle with the things that you know we did, I did, you did. Yeah. So they are doing, as I said, Scotty Sattler said they're ticking the boxes. Like I'd like to see them probably do more in some regards, and I'm hoping that we can open some insights up here with these podcasts on transitioning to help current players prepare themselves or transition out yeah. a lot smoother. I think that, you know, there's still the unknown about how and what needs to be addressed in this area. Like I said, you know, we're still in the early stages of professionalism. And look, for the first 10 years of that period, it wasn't even addressed. It wasn't even an issue because we were still coming to grips with what we as a nation considered professional sport. All it meant was that we trained full time and we got paid more money than we did previously. Yeah. Right. That was it. That was all it was. And now you look at the sports science that's involved in the game, you look at the training methods, the coaching styles, you look at the players and the scrutiny they're under. You know, the game is, well, not the game, but professional sport has developed so quickly in Australia yeah. that we're still understanding and learning it. And I think we'll probably go through this transition phase or this learning phase for probably another 10 years until we get to the point where we're starting on the center. And that might take some time or some research from other professional sports in other countries, you know, the US, yep. the UK, et cetera, where we can take on board and see what they've done to know that transition phase, how tough it is for players, how scary it is, especially if they haven't done anything. Yep. And, you know, the NRL offers so many opportunities for players these days. But, you know, whether you choose to take that up or not yeah, is up to you thing. as a player. And that's the hardest bit. As a player, your, your focus is to give your best to what you're doing on the field but you know what you're a long time retired 33 34 35 if that's your retiring age and i was 31 when i retired you know it just means that you've got a long life ahead of you and you've got to ensure that you've got something behind you yeah that's right and your mate josh stewart who you played there with at the bears i had him on um, episode three if you want to listen to that he talks about nrl equals not real long so (laughs) that's very true very true probably the smartest thing josh has ever said I won't tell him that. I'll let you tell him that. (laughs) How would you describe the process of transitioning smoothly for yourself out of the NRL? I guess for me, because I'm still involved in the game, I probably really haven't stepped away as such. You know, I I haven't had that clean break, which some player or most players have. So probably hasn't been as hard for me. Yep. And I've actually been a part of and supported that process, you know, through working with the education and welfare team, by working at the men of league with their career transition program. So I was a part of that process and trying to understand and implement and ensure that transition for players was as smooth as possible, or at least take the necessary steps. So, you know what, for me, mate, it's been, I've got to say, it's been relatively easy. The thing I miss most, I don't miss the playing, I miss the camaraderie. I miss the rocking up the training. I miss the stories after trips away. I miss all that aspect, you know, yeah. that fun stuff that we had. Seriously, I miss the training because, you know, I love training. I love bashing my body up to the point where I'm physically exhausted. Yeah. And I still do that now, but it's not as much fun on your own. Yeah, that's but, right. Yeah, but I still enjoy the training aspect and keeping myself fit. So, yeah, I guess I'm probably a little bit different to, to most other guys in the fact that I'm still involved in the game and have been for 15 years or 14, 15 years since I retired. Yep. So very fortunate from that sense. But uh, it's nice to be remembered. It's nice to be recognised by people. You know, it's nice even still to be asked for a photo or an autograph. It just means that you've obviously had an impact on people whilst you were playing. 
And I'd like to think that I did enough whilst I was playing both on and off the field that people can judge my character based on that. And that hasn't changed whether I was a player and now in retirement. Yep. It's exactly the same. No, very good. I you know you're saying you keep yourself fit. I reckon you're still as fit today as you were when you were playing. I'm, I'm probably fitter <laughs> now, mate, than I was back then. I wish I had been fit now, mate. I'm, I'm on a little bit of a challenge. The guru's got this challenge, the 100 burpee challenge. Oh, yeah? So I'm on the challenge at the moment, which is 100 burpees a day. Oh, wow. And today is day 88. So 88 days. So I don't know when I'm going to stop, but I'm chasing Hodjo, Michael Hodson. He sits on the match review committee with me and he's at about 112 days or something like that. So I'll have to uh, jump onto that, mate. Jump on, mate. It's 100 burpees a day. (laughs) You know what, mate? It's it's not the physical challenge. It's just the mental challenge. Yeah. That's all it is. You know, days where you just, the last thing you want to do is 100 burpees. You just got to get it done at some stage. Yeah, yeah. I found you're saying you're still loving bashing your body up and keeping fit. Like, I know for me now, like, that busy with the business and the kids. And, but I find that if I go do some fitness, it gets to, you know, I'll say I'll do 10 stairs or something here at Twin Bay and I'll get to number five and I'll, that'll do me. But, you know, if you've got a couple of mates there, you don't pull up. You keep going and push yourself through that extra. You get yeah, that, yeah. You know? And that's so much about that mental challenge and that, you know, pushing yourself and, and whatever it is. And, you know, that's where I'm at at the moment with, you know, the burpees or, you know, running up the skillion myself. Yep. It's, you know, it's easy to say, but no one's going to know. Yeah, you've got to look at yourself in the mirror, mate. <laughs> that's all it is. I'll have to come and run a couple of skillions there with you at Terrigal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was important for you to help you with your transition? Like, was there one you could say was, you know, got you through it? I know you said you're still kind of involved in that, obviously with the NRL and yep. the, the match review and the competition there in the youth league and stuff like that. So you've been around yep. it, but you still had to transition from actual player to those roles, you know, to work and yeah. you know, work 40 hours a week. And- Mate, and you know what, living a normal life, and I know when I was playing that I had more time with my kids. Yeah. Right. And suddenly that gets taken away from you when you are playing. And you know what? Most people think that when you finish playing that you're going to have more time with your family. But unfortunately, you know what? It's not the case. You've got to work your 40 hours a week. Yeah. And then you also, not only do you work, not only are you working more hours during the week and spending less time with your family, you're actually getting a lot less money than what yeah. you used to get. Yeah, so suddenly, you know what? It's a whole different ball game for you. And it's an adjustment, not only for you as a player, it's also an adjustment for your family. Yep. and your partner because, you know, they do get used to you being around a fair bit. And then suddenly, you know, you're out working and whatever else and you're trying to still have your own time. Yep. And, you know, it comes down to just weekends. Most guys who have played sport generally find themselves either trying to stay involved in the game or, you know, getting involved in their kids' sport or whatever it may be. So suddenly there's even less time on your weekends because you're, you're doing something locally. Yep. So from that end, I think... A, about keeping yourself busy, but also trying to get that balance right, I think, is the key. And even more so in the early stages of that transition is being mindful of the impact that it's having on kids, your wife, your partner, and the rest of your family, and even yourself, you know, your own mental health and how that all plays into ensuring that, you know, it is a big adjustment and how best to handle that. That's a good insight there, mate. No one's really touched on that to date with the podcast that I've done, but being mindful of the impacts that it has on your family, transitioning out of that, that's probably a big one that 
everyone focuses on the actual player and their transition and but no one's actually mentioned the impact on your family and you know obviously it's a big one dropping income and being around a lot less so earning less money probably having to sacrifice a lot of things yeah. that you never used to you know less trips overseas less oh, everybody becomes accustomed to a lifestyle yeah and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that and you know <laughs> if you've got it you're going to spend it and whatever else or you're going to live to a certain lifestyle yeah. which you become accustomed to and then suddenly that changes dramatically you yeah. go from you know you might you know the players now i think the average wage is about three hundred thousand dollars yeah so obviously some are earning more some are earning less but if you've had a a reasonable career where you're six or seven years into your career, you know, you're going to be earning that average income. Yeah. Okay. You're going to be a valuable player to your side. So, you know, to go from 300, I can assure you now, there's not too many jobs where you can pick up $300,000. All right. Unless you know of any, Jay, <laughs> going. Uh, but there's not too many jobs that you can pick up $300,000 yeah. for doing something you love. Yeah. That's right. Hanging around. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Hanging around your mates, having a great time. Yeah. So, you know what? It's back to the 80 or a hundred grand. And if you're, fortunate enough to pick up a job that pays a hundred grand a year. Yeah. yeah you know what? You've hit the jackpot. Well done to you. Yeah. Congratulations. But you know what? That's not easy when you consider if you haven't done anything throughout that time, your skills are limited. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think Adam Perry touched on it quite a bit in uh, episode six. If you want to go back and have a listen to that one. He, he talks about he wishes he, if he had his time again, he would have networked a lot more. He would have you know, spoken to a lot more sponsors. If he knew the impact that would have had on his career after he's, or even get involved with the sponsors and go and help them and go and spend a day with them and which they would have quite happily have done because they just want NRL players around their work. And the more you help out and the more you put in, the more you're going to get back. So that's kind of his take on that, you know? I agree, mate. You know, hindsight's a beautiful thing and great to put old heads on young shoulders. But the players are getting this sort of advice. Yeah. You know, you can see the ones that will, where it clicks and they're taking the steps or the necessary steps to, to go about that process. Right. You can also see the ones that are struggling with it and, you know, they get to that 28, 29, 30 years of age, suddenly the penny drops and they go, wow, what am I going to do? Yeah. And the panic sets in, which is a real shame, yeah, a real shame. Get an injury, couple of back operations by 22, like myself, there was no, yeah. no warning and out of, my, uh, out of my bum and no job, no future which I thought at the time, you know, like there's quite a few of those stories out there. I'm not saying that to, you know, say, oh, poor me, but it does happen. But you know, you know what, mate, and that does happen. You know, I've got a son who plays in the 20s for the Mariners at the moment. You know, he's 16 years of age, and I always make reference to the fact that, mate, you know what, you're one game or one injury away from never being able to play again. Yeah. So, and that's not to be the prophet of doom. It's just the harsh realities of professional sport or sport in general. And, you know, to be mindful of how you're going about this process and, you know, schoolwork or your apprenticeship and whatever's coming up, all the opportunities that may present itself. It's so important to be mindful of that. But I also look at guys that do or have the ability like yourself, Jay, to take the skills that they've developed as a rugby league player and transition those into another career. Because I can assure you there's that many skill sets as a rugby league player, commitment, sacrifice, time management, uh, you name it, you can just rattle off time and time and time again that are so beneficial in other organisations. And if you can transition those skills across, then you know what, you won't have a problem having a career post-professional sport, that's for sure. Yeah, that's right. No, definitely, mate. And that kind of leads us into the next question. With your retirement, can you tell us whether it was on your terms? Was it forced upon you for any reasons? Was it taken out of your hands or was it your choice? And are you happy with the decision to retire at the time you did or could you have played on another 
season or can you tell us uh, a bit about yeah. that? Yeah, mate, I finished up with the West Tigers. So 2003, 2004, unfortunately, I didn't have sort of prided myself on playing as many games as possible. And I was very fortunate I didn't get a lot of injuries throughout my career. But 2003, I had a knee problem that just meant my cartilage was basically gone in my knee. I went in for an arthroscope, expecting to be out for two weeks, waited for the doctor that night to come back and give me a report on how the arthroscope went, and he basically told me that I needed to retire. You know, obviously that shattered me. Like I said, I was expecting to be out for two weeks. He said, you've got three options. We can take a sample of your cartilage, send it through a lab in Perth and see what happens. We can grin and bear it, play with it and see what happens, or you can retire. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, look, you know what? I'm going to grin and bear it and put up with the pain as much as I can. They did take a sample, grew it in laboratory in Perth, probably about six weeks later. It just got unbearable and was swelling up and, you know, I couldn't perform the way I wanted to. I had the surgery. It was going to take 12 months to heal and then six months of rehab. I managed to get back on the field within 12 months, but I was far from the player I needed to be. This was at the back end of 2004. Yeah. I think I played the last eight games of 2004, but like I said, I was nowhere near the player I needed to be, and I knew that. Yeah. My main goal was to get back on the field. So after 13 seasons, I decided to pull the pin on it. I guess when I look at it, 13 seasons was a long period back then. I look at the players now, and if we had the sports science and we had the rehab and I had the time, which at 31, I probably could have played a couple more seasons, maybe even three or four more seasons in today's era. But that wasn't to be the case. I had a good run, mate. Like I said, I prided myself on playing as many games as possible throughout the season. If I had played those last two seasons, I would have really got close to that 300 mark, which would have been a, a pretty special mark to achieve. And I probably would have played the following year for basically nothing to get to that milestone. But that wasn't the B, mate. And I knew at the end of 2003 season, I spoke to Dave Gallup about working with the NRL, and he basically offered me a job straight away. I told him that I was my goal was to get back on the field and to finish my career there at the West Tigers for the 04 season. And fortunately enough, he kept the position open for me for another 12 months. Once I retired, 2004, I basically started at the NRL in November 2004 and have been involved in the game basically ever since. Yeah, very good. What there when David Gallup was there, there with Todd uh, Greenberg now, obviously. The big differences in, as an outsider, I see some quite big differences in the, you know, the leadership and the way they operate, I guess, but how is it from the inside? Um, look, I've got to say, they are very different. I dare say that, you know, we're talking 14 years ago. Yeah. So the game has changed a lot in that time. When I started at the NRL, there were 30-odd staff there. Yeah, you know, yeah, now yeah. there's probably 130, if not more, yeah. 150 staff, 200 staff, who knows the numbers. So the game has just grown, and in particular the NRL. We would go to a function and you'd know everybody within the office. Yeah. Now, you know, most people wouldn't know each other because there's just too many people to know yeah. within that workspace. David Gallup was front and centre when it comes to any issues in the game. Yeah. And it appears that Todd has a different view and a different take on that, similar to Dave Smith, where they don't need to be front and centre for every issue that's addressed in the game. Yep. And you know what? Different management styles, different structures, different times, I guess. Different times. And you know what, mate? I've got to say, I think, the game has continued to evolve and it positively evolved to the point where both guys are doing a – Dave Gallup did a great job and I think Todd Greenberg is doing a great job now. So, yep. you know, from my end, it's not a position I'd envy yep. or want to be in because <laughs> there's, there's so much demand and pressure, but these guys are delivering time and time again. I don't know, mate. I could see Mickey Butner running the show. No, thank you, mate. No, 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 no. <laughs> I like my sleep and I like my weekends up in Terrigal. <laughs> Touched on some good things there. Obviously, uh, your knee injury and – 
you played 13 seasons, which is no main feat, you know, like even in today, I think the average career of an NRL player is uh, something like 30 games or... Yeah, 48 games. 48 think, games, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. you're in the top echelon in NRL players, mate. So didn't quite reach the 300 of your, your goal there, but you played a lot more than you know, 80%, 90% of people, you know, so... Should be proud of that. Yeah, very fortunate, mate, to have the career I did. And, you know, it's not why you play. You know, it's not about an individual thing. It's yeah. more about the team thing. And I'd give up 260 of those games to have won the grand final in 2001. Yeah. That's as simple as it is, Fair you know. Enough. Yeah. No, I definitely understand that, mate. What are the biggest challenges that you've faced in your transition? As you said, it was pretty smooth for you still in the NRL, I guess. Were there any big challenges for you? from going from player to everyday life? Yeah, mate, there was. You know, I definitely had challenges, you know, just dealing with, you know, that camaraderie that I spoke about earlier on, the financial adjustment and how that all come into play. You know, at the time when I retired, my family moved from Eastwood up to the Central Coast and we were building this amazing home on acreage. You know, things sort of blew out, costs blew out and suddenly worrying about where the next dollar and cents is going to come from, et cetera, et cetera. So, and that didn't quite eventuate just due to the fact that, you know, we just ran out of money. The dream run and sort of come to an end. So all those things there were certainly factors in transitioning. I look back now and, you know, when players do transition, they probably need the routine still in their life yeah. because it's something that they become so accustomed to as a player. So if they can make that adjustment and keep a routine, then probably fits well with what they're so used to. And that would be my recommendation or tip to any guy that's sort of going through that, you know, to get a routine in place, to make sure you're ensuring what's in place, what's the next step, as you would do as you're preparing for a season or as if you're preparing for a game. You know, we all know how important the preparation is leading into those big games or season, and it's no different to preparing to life without footy. You know, it may not be as intense, but it's certainly as important, if not more important. Yeah, got a lot longer time to go. Yeah, that's right. Scotty Sattler mentions it in uh, episode Finding That High, like running onto a stadium full of, you know, whatever you had, 80,000 people there or 60,000 yeah. at the 2001 Grand Final, although you lost that massive adrenaline rush. Even you had some big games for North Sydney and New South Wales and Australia, you know, like, have you found yep. anything to replace that? Uh, uh, tag, look, I suppose nothing. you mentioned a couple of things, but it's not the, it's not the same. Nah, nah, nah. Look, nothing's the same, mate. And look, there's a couple, and I'll, I will touch on this because there's a couple of things I do remember. Like I'd come back from my knee injury and I played out at, first game I played was for Western Suburbs out at Henson Park. Yeah. And I remember coming off the field, I played like a busted and I remember coming off the field crying to my wife and I just said, look, you know what, I'm done. I'm kidding myself. Yeah. But I think I can play here. You know what, I'm better than this to be playing out on Henson Park. Not that yeah. I'm taking offense to Henson Park, but yeah. You know what? I just missed that adrenaline. So the next week on Tuesday, I was going to go tell Tim Sheens that I was done. Yeah. He pulls me aside and said, mate, listen, I'm going to put you on the bench this week against the Dragons. I went, wow, okay. You obviously didn't see my game <laughs> um, because I was terrible. <laughs> but he put me on the bench and, mate, I remember the warm-up. It was at Cogra Oval and it was chock-a-block and I was that pumped. It was like my first grade debut all over again. Here I am at 30 years of age in front of a crowd and I just, and this was just the warm-up. Yeah. Right, it was just got me that excited and that pumped up. And I was fortunate enough to play with Darren Center, Jason Moody, Scotty Sattler, and myself. You know, the last game we played at Leichhardt Oval, yep. and it was all about Darren Center. We played South Sydney, and it was all about Darren Center because he was a, a Bowman Junior and been there forever and a day. But uh, I was walking around with Moods and Sats, and I said to the boys as we were walking around the second last game of the year, I think it was. 
said, you can, can you believe we're actually going to give this up? You know what? So to, was that uh, to, Scotty Sattler's last, last, last season? Last yeah, season, yeah, right. Yeah, 2004 was his last season. Okay. So, you know, I said, can you believe we're going to give this up? Yep. We're going to walk away from all this. It is, mate. It's such a huge buzz. Yep. And you know what? You're never going to replace that. We had 92,000 in the grand final. Yeah. Like, you know, those sort of things. You're never going to replace that. Yep. The feeling of being able to run out in front of those people who are watching you play. But you know what? What I do now is, or what I enjoy doing now, I play Oztag, and that's as close as I'm going to get to that camaraderie, that teammates, yep. the, the, you know, the mateship, that physical interaction, etc. But yeah, that's generally only played in front of three or four people, so <laughs> <laughs> it's not as exciting when you score a try, mate. And running off your mate JT. <laughs> JT, yeah, yeah. Jamie Ty, he loves it, mate. Putting you he through some it. gaps. No, I put him through the gaps, mate. <laughs> <laughs> right, very good. Yeah, like a lot of people would obviously experience that kind of experience, I guess, the adrenaline rush of running in front of 90,000 people. And yeah, like that's a good insight to have. And as you said, like finding something to replace that, there's nothing out there to replace it. Nah, mate, look, it's such a huge buzz and we're very fortunate to have done what we did, you know, to play rugby league in front of adoring fans that, for me, I find it hard to understand and comprehend the passion that people have for their team. <laughs> but you know what? If they didn't have that passion, that adrenaline rush wouldn't be there. They give so much to their side and, and they feel every tackle, they feel every win, yeah. and they feel every loss. Yeah. And, you know, I get it. I understand it in terms of how much it means to some people. Yeah. And it's fantastic that the game love and unfortunately been a part of have got so many great fans yeah that's it no definitely it's all about the fans and that's without the fans there's nothing is there so nah exactly are there any some like quick wins that our listeners can take away from our conversation today to help them in their own lives a lot of our listeners are you know business owners sports on committees sports tragics or fans like we're just talking about you know from uh, your experience and what are some quick wins they can take away from today Mate, look, I've got to say, one of the things I have learned probably more recently, you know, with the stuff I've done with the Pass It On Clothing, you know, that's a charity organisation that you touched on earlier. You know, we've distributed, you know, up until January 23rd, we distributed 10,000 pieces. In the last three and a half months, we've distributed another 8,500. That's across three services at Woolloomooloo, Martin Place, and up here at Gosford. So I'm very fortunate to be a part of that. You know, all we do is pass on clothing. We receive from the donors. They come to us and we just pass it on directly to those in need, be it the homeless or disadvantaged. But that stuff doesn't happen. You don't build this community if you don't have consistency. And you know what? It suddenly it really hits home with me in relation to that because I've built relationships now with our friends who, you know, are doing it tough. But it's not something that I can do every three weeks or every month or because they've been so disappointed in their life so many times. It's something that I need to be there every week. And you know what? Wednesday nights is my night where I, I know that it's locked into my routine that I will be there on a Wednesday night to pass on the clothing to the homeless or disadvantaged. And so from that end, you know, this is where the 100 burpee challenge comes in, where it's just that level of consistency now where it's just doing stuff. And you know what? There's so many times where we can make excuses. Oh, sorry, we can have reasons, but ultimately they're just excuses. But if you really want to do something, it's a habit and it's about changing a habit. It's about getting into a routine. And the only way you're going to do that is being mentally strong enough to be consistent in your actions. You know, you can say whatever you want, but your actions speak a lot stronger than any words that you can put together. So, mate, the key word, if I was to say anything, would be consistency. And that's, you know, good and bad. You know, you can be consistently poor and you can drink every night and, you know, that's not going to be good for you. But you know what? If you're looking to make changes and positive changes, Find what it is that's going to make that change a positive change for you and consistently go about it. And that might be every day, like I do with the burpees. It might be once a week where you 
go through your finances. It might be once a month where you go out with your wife for dinner or whatever it may have a date night or whatever it may be. It might be fortnight where you take your kids on a you know a weekend away or you know you spend some quality time with them. Whatever it is, it's something that you must do and, and commit to. And the consistency is the, the most important aspect for me. Oh, that's awesome. Got to just taking a few notes there, mate. Some really good stuff. Create a habit. Yeah. And, yeah. Good or bad, you're going to create a habit of some sort. So might as well create a good one and get into action and consistent action. Yeah. Oh, mate, I think it's the key. And look, I've got a little mantra. I've got a little tattoo on my arm that says thoughts become things. Yep. Now, it's the same sort of philosophy. You know what? Thoughts will become things good or bad. So I might as well put positive thoughts out there because yep. it takes just as much energy to put a positive thought as it does a negative thought. And if it's yeah. going to happen, I might as well make a positive thing happen in my life, not a negative. Yeah, that's right. No, good yeah. stuff, mate. That's awesome. Is there any courses or books or events that you read or been to through your transition to help you with that transition? Look, I'm constantly reading, you know, a lot of yep. self-help books, a lot of financial books, more the self-help books. And, you know, that's just about Again, you know, having that mindset or thinking about ways to be a better person. And that's just me. You know, I guess as a player, you always try to be the best player you could be to get the most out of yourself. And nothing's changed for me in relation to now that I've finished playing. Yep. I still want to be the best version of myself. That yep. doesn't involve making 20 tackles or missing 20 tackles, whatever it is, or, you know, making 20 runs or scoring 20 tries a season. It's not about that now. It's just about being, you know, a better father, a better match review coordinator, a better person. And, you know, those things that I do for charity now are also involved with the Danica Clark Foundation up here on the Central Coast, where I'm chairman of that, where we raise scholarships for young athletes on the coast. You know, just those things to be able to give back. You know, I've been very fortunate to play it in a sport and given the opportunity to earn a few dollars out of it. So for me to be able to give a little bit back and it's just about being better than I was last year, better than I was last week, better than I was yesterday. Yeah. Or, or what I'm trying to achieve there, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it right? definitely makes sense. Because I'm always trying to improve. But you know what? As long as I keep moving in the right direction, that's yeah. all that matters. Yeah, definitely. Now, they, I can't remember who it was, but they said just about being grateful. Actually, I think it was Adam Perry. Yeah. Just about being grateful. He did a course. I can't think of it right now, but after he, right at the end of his transition, about just about being grateful for everything that he has, yep. uh, everything that he's been through. And I've got a gratitude journal. I write in it every day. Oh, that's great. Things that's that I'm awesome, grateful man. for, you know, and it's, yeah. you know, again, it gives you time to reflect and look back on your day and go, you know, what am I grateful for? And you know, they don't have to be big things. Yeah. They could be small things. They could be, you know, I'm grateful for getting a good parking spot <laughs> down at Terrigal Surf Club. You know what? Yeah. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with being grateful for that. You know what? There's plenty of people that are driving around cursing and <laughs> yelling and abuse going because they can't get a parking spot. Just be grateful when you get one. It's okay. That's it. No, nothing definitely. to get worked up about. Mate, just come to the end of it. How do our listeners find out more about the Mocker Butner? And is there anything you'd like to add before we say goodbye, like your charities that probably give them a bit of a plug? And I'll put them on the bottom of the podcast so people can yeah, beautiful, mate. find out well, look, about yeah, that. Like I said, mate, the passing on clothing, you know, we're fortunate now we've got a bit of a pipeline of clothing. So donations yeah. aren't as important, but they're always helpful and, and we're certainly not going to knock them back. The Danica Clark Foundation is something that I've been a part of for the last 10 years and, you know, very proud of that. Delivered over $250,000 worth of scholarships to young athletes on the coast. Been fortunate enough to provide scholarships. Maddie Graham was one of them. who won a silver medal at the, the Winter Olympics just recently. Nicola McDermott, Brad Woodward, Matt Dawson, who all won medals at the Commonwealth Games up on the Gold Coast. And that's just to name a few in, in recent months who have gone on to bigger and better things. Gemma Smith, who's an absolute champion when it comes to surf life saving, she won nine medals at the Australian Championships. You know, so 
from that end, very fortunate to be a part of that. Obviously, they can tune into 2GO. That's a bit of a plug, 107.7 on Saturday mornings between 9 and 10 where we do the locker room program with the voice of ANZ Stadium, Steve Allen. And, mate, you know what? I just – obviously, I have my Facebook and Instagram, so if anybody's keen – not that I'm big on that stuff, mate, but yeah. if they happen to get me there, then put in, I might answer their friend request. <laughs> They'll have to mention that they heard me on the podcast. The podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I won't just randomly request or confirm my request for, to anybody. So. <laughs> Good, mate. Now, I saw uh, Steve Allen down on the uh, surf ski down at Shelley Beach there uh, last yeah. week. He was going pretty hard. He loves it, mate. He's an interesting character himself in terms of you know what he's done. He's you know world masters champion, he's you know, medalist numerous times, and uh, you know, still trains hard and very fortunate to be involved in sport the way he is. And I'm yeah. very fortunate to actually work with him, mate, because he's an absolute genius. And he's done every grand final at ANZ Stadium since day one, 1999. He started there and he's the voice of ANZ, yeah. mate. That's him. <laughs> That's him, yeah. It's a very distinctive voice too. It certainly is, mate. It certainly is. All right, Mick. Now, I appreciate your time. I got a lot of insights there, but I think just do a little recap there. How to get the best version of yourself or how to be better to give back to others. Just a common thread through the whole podcast here is get some balance, be mindful of others. You're very selfless, mate. It's good to see someone with so much success in their past NRL career and in life has given back so much. And I think for me, something that sticks out there is to be how to be the best version of yourself and to give back to others and also to commit to good habits. Yes, 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 mate. You know what, and if people take something out of that, like I said, for me, it was something that I applied to my footy career and I knew that if I didn't do those things, I wouldn't have been as successful as I was. If they were successful for my footy career, there's no reason why they can't be successful post my career. And I'd like to think that they are helping me in you know, going forward in my life and providing a, a good example and a good role model for my kids because ultimately I want them to be the one they look up to. I want to be their role model, not, you know, some rock star or some sports yeah. star or whatever it may be. I'm the one that's got to set the example for them. Ah, oh, good, mate. Yeah, and I've got a couple of kids, so, mate, definitely something I'll take on myself there for sure. Yeah, beautiful, mate. All right, Mick. No, I really appreciate you coming on and you're a legend and really appreciate your time, mate. Thanks, mate. I hope we didn't go over time. Thank you for listening to the Everything Sports Podcast, the podcast which consistently provides actionable business tips and life-changing insights from high-performance athletes. You can access all the information related to this episode via the show notes at www.everythingsports.com slash podcast. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Jay will answer in upcoming episodes. How can Jay help you today? 